start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. Today, media company's ASX bloodbath. Paul Fletcher loses his communications portfolio. And goodbye to a media and adland legend. Unmade. Tim, how are you? Happy weekend. How was it? Mate, I'm good. As you can see, uh, we chat by video. Not that our podcast listeners can see it, obviously. I, I'm 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 wearing a nice, cosy hat. It's been a weekend of crazy weather on the northwest Tasmania coast. Last night, I uh, and the night before, you, you you know it's bad when you can just hear all night the furniture on the deck kind of walking around the deck on its own accord in the wind. The the cushions were up the reserve in one direction. One of the plastic chairs was down below in another. The 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 the, the cover, despite like five clips, flew off the hot tub. The cover of the barbecue went in another direction. It was um yeah, it was proper crazy Tasmanian winter weather. Anyway, how are you? I think that's been up and down the East Coast, if I'm honest. I accidentally left a window open last night, and I heard about that at about 4 a.m. this morning. But you introduced me last week to a, a fantastic uh, bit of terminology from Tasmania when we compared uh, the, the Tassie Tux, which I hadn't heard of before. And I, I think if uh, listeners were, were watching us now, it could be a bit of a competition as to uh, – Who's wearing it best? We are both wearing our Tasmanian tuxedos. What's which are kind of those those kind of padded, armless, quilted jacket things, aren't they? Gilets, right? Is that the technical term for it? Is that what they are? Right. Okay. I believe so. How French? Well, (laughs) anyway, um, Damo, where would you like to start this week? Jeez, there's a lot to talk about this week. Uh, so how about we start off with uh, one of the most alarming stories, the, the bloodbath on the ASX? Yes, and it's probably for readers of a nervous disposition. We should um, probably stress that this is a figurative bloodbath rather than an actual much so. bloodbath. Um, so this is something which uh, yeah, has been covered today in the Sydney Morning Herald on the Age. It's something I guess uh, we've been writing about gradually as it's unfolded on the unmade index day in and day out as we chart things um one of the exercises that uh zoe samios and the sydney morning herald uh which as i say also runs in the age as well has been doing is is looking at just how much value has gone from the asx's listed media stocks which she calculates to be about eight billion now i must admit my 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 calculation have been a bit less, but one of the reasons for that is we don't fully weight in in the unmade index, REA media and domain group, and we don't include at all News Corp because it's it's dual listed overseas and would just dominate the whole thing. But she does make the point that things have really struggled in terms of share prices. So according to the 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 the, the the chart that Zoe's put together, um, worst performer um, so far after the year to date, Domain, down 44%, uh, obviously majority owned by nine. And of course, that's what's what's weighing down nine's share price as well. And it says a lot about, um, you know, the, the kind of sentiment around real estate. And in fact, the, uh, the next biggest faller is REA Group. Majority owned by News Corp, down thirty four percent, and then um, 
there, there, there are some, some, some other big fallers. So nine down 20, 28% year today. Southern Cross Stereo down 32%. And actually, it's worth also acknowledging another story that's in the um, Sydney Morning Herald this morning as well, which, um, as we were recording at 7am, had only gone up a, a few minutes before we recorded, which is um, one of Southern Cross Stereo's largest shareholders, um, the company Alan Gray, the managing director of that company, Simon Marwini. Um, has suggested that there could be further challenges ahead for SCA because of its radio holdings with the um, the HIT network and the Triple M network, um, perhaps facing increasing challenges, not in, well, there's no perhaps about it, from the music industry. So, um, uh, uh, particularly from the streaming services, so the suggestion that yeah there could be more to go there. So um, so yeah so that 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 is an interesting little kind of I suppose suggestion of an alarm, and um, that sort of ties in with the reporting on the so-called bloodbath. With I was trying to put my finger on it, and this is what's answered one of my questions from last week. There was one day where seven dropped about 9% in the space of a single day. Now, that would have coincided with the investment bank Macquarie downgrading its view on the sector to underweight, as in the advice to their um, investors on what to do. So that answers that one. So, um, so yeah, so, look, so we've had a pretty much of a, a, a bumpy ride. I think to date the unmade index is, is down, getting on for almost uh almost 30 percent you know as we uh as we kind of um wrote about it on friday uh the index was at 718 and considering we started off at a thousand points that's a 28 percent fall yeah and zoe writes that uh, c- compared to the the benchmark for the asx 200 at 4.6 percent obviously the the 19 to 44 percent depending on the company you're looking at is significantly higher than that but one thing that a few people might be scratching their heads about, Tim, and again, Zoe mentions it in this story, is you know, we've seen a lot of reporting uh, recently about uh, from the SMI on the, uh, the buoyant market in advertising and, and increased spend across the board. Um, now, obviously, there was a, a small patch where it was quite a difficult period with COVID, but everything is bouncing back quite quickly, even outdoors starting to, to climb back up. What do you think about that in terms of, you know, why there's that sort of, I guess, um, on one side, uh, a buoyant market, on the other side, you know, the media companies seem to be struggling for value? Yeah, that's a really fair point and a, a, a good question because, you know, Standard Media Index has up to now shown that certainly agency spend has been, which, which is the majority of advertising spend, has been as you say, buoyant, um, I suspect some of it is about forward-looking sentiment. So you've got a couple of things going on. You've got tech stocks generally, certainly out of the US, sentiment turning against that. Not saying they're bad stocks, but just saying they're the wrong price. They were too optimistic, you know, now that, because, you you know, they, they're almost priced like they were going to grow forever and no stock grows forever. So there's just that sort of gravity effect, I suppose. You've probably also got a sense that the market's trying to guess where the market goes next. 
and that I think obviously isn't particularly captured by SMI because it, you know, yes, it knows a bit about forward bookings, but mainly it, it, it looks backwards about where the spend went. So I suspect that, you know, an awful lot of that sentiment is just around media is always a forward indicator when it's advertising spend of the economy. They tend to do better in a booming economy, worse in a downturn. And, you know, there seems to be increasing consensus that um, if it's not upon us already, a downturn is on the way. Coming up next, no tax bill for Twitter. Well, we are at that time of year where there seems to be a weekly story about one of the platforms not paying very much tax in Australia. Damo, whose turn is it today? Tim, it's Twitter's turn today uh, with a report in the SMH again. Uh, Zoe Samios with Twitter's tax bill coming in at just a fraction under $150,000, which seems extraordinarily small uh, for a company that's reporting an 11% increase in revenue at $14.8 million. Now, uh, as uh, Zoe reports, it doesn't disclose uh, the amount of money it's made from advertising uh, locally. And of course, the uh, the tax is calculated on profit rather than revenue. So unfortunately for Twitter, it's reported a $2 million loss. So that's uh, partly where the small tax bill uh, has come from. Um, but look, as we know, um, the big tech companies are very good um, at paying very small tax bills, uh, no matter what uh, their profit uh, seems to be. Um, and that's something that we've seen over a number of years as well. Twitter's not been massively in the limelight when it comes to its uh, its tax, really. Of, of course, the big global story at the moment for Twitter is uh, is about the, the takeover bid from Elon Musk and the guess you'd call it the massive stall uh, at the moment in in terms of whether that's actually going to finally go through or not. But, um, you know, look, it was only a matter of time uh, until these numbers came came back into to the limelight. Well, let's also look at the even bigger Facebook and Google, um, the platforms. Um, at least they pay some tax on profit. Yeah, that's right. They do pay some tax on profit, but they're making some pretty big profit numbers. So, you know, let's let's talk about Google. Uh, grew its revenue. Um, it's at seven point two billion in twenty twenty one. That was a thirty eight percent increase. Uh, its tax bill eighty five million. So, when you look at that as a percentage, it's uh, still quite small. Uh, Meta. At 24 million on its tax bill, um, you know, again, small, small numbers. Now, what they're doing, as we've talked about b- before, is a lot of that is offshore. That there's some very uh, interesting ways that they do that, in- including uh, that the Australian uh, businesses sort of going to the the global businesses to, to, to charge out for for services uh, run out of, of the country but um, look it, it, they're, they're very small numbers for very large uh, amounts of revenue in the Australian market particularly on the advertising side when, when they're making huge amounts of, of dollars here if you are those companies though as we've seen the arguments before from them they generally say well look 
we're opening up a lot of jobs in in the country. We're providing a lot a lot of opportunity, and of course, news media bargaining code. Um, there's more money now going to local media. So, hey, depending on what side you are, you could kind of argue both. But it's it's hard not to be slightly alarmed at those very small, continuous, uh, small tax figures. Next, Vale Peter Harvey. Unmade. So the advertising and media world has been celebrating the life of Peter Harvey since his death was announced yesterday, Demo. Yeah, that's right. A, a massive player in the advertising and media uh, industry as well. So for those that don't know, uh, Peter Harvey is is the H in, in what's now called the, the CHIP network, uh, which of course was previously CHE proximity. So Clemenger Harvey Edge back in the day. Clemenger Harvey Edge back in the day. That's right. So he, he joined Clemenger in, in 1966 as a, a radio manager. Uh, which is kind of relevant to where he, he went uh, from there. Um, it moved to Clemenger Moulton in 1973 to run that business, and that's when it sort of changed from Clemenger Moulton to Clemenger Bryson, and then eventually uh, in, in 1980 to uh, Clemenger Harvey. Um, now, he left uh, Clemenger in 1992 and moved uh, into a, a radio uh, career from there as managing director of Triple M Networks, uh, moved up to group managing director and appointed to the board, and that's when that was owned by uh, Village Roadshow, um, and then moved on to become uh, the executive chairman of, of Oz Stereo from 2001 to 2011, uh, and of course, towards the end there, the, the, the big uh, move was uh, Southern Cross uh, purchasing Oz Stereo, which uh, saw him move back to uh, Clemenger Group, um, where he uh, went back essentially to, to his old stomping ground, uh, which was uh, CHE. Um, uh, and there he was a non-executive uh, director. Um, now, at the time, Mark Code was, was running CHE, and uh, it was a pretty big time uh, then because Mark Code moved on um, and, and, lo and behold, up came a, a, a relatively big name uh, now in, in Chris Houts, and so a lot going on at, at, at CHE. But uh, Peter Harvey's made a, a massive impact, uh, not just in, in advertising, uh, but uh, in uh, the, the media industry as well. And we saw a lot of uh, really nice words coming out over the weekend from, from people, including Mark Coe, Joan Warner, Andy Lee, people who he had um, touched over the years in very positive ways. So a big loss for, for uh, the, the media and marketing industry uh, in, in general. Yeah, I remember chatting to Chris Harrison when he still worked at CHAP and just talked about what a presence Peter Harvey was in terms of, um, you know, just being uh, an addition to the culture of, uh, of you know, as you say, what was then CHE. Um, and then also a great um, tribute from uh, Kyle Sanderlands as well. Uh, Peter was a true boss in every sense of the word. He saved me more than once in my career and above all allowed creative people to shine. Peter will be missed, but his teachings and guidance will live on. Look, I have no doubt they'll live on as well. Let's uh, not forget he was also or is also a uh, CRA, Commercial Radio Australia, or Hall of Famer uh, as well. So hugely uh, admired among the industry. Next, 
Bye bye, Paul Fletcher. Unmade. Communications Minister Michelle Rowland will be doing battle with a new counterpart after Paul Fletcher was moved sideways yesterday. Tim, who has the portfolio? So it's Sarah Henderson, who is a senator, um, has been for a while, and former journalist. So uh, at least a couple of careers along the way. She would have been uh, familiar to a kind of generation of Australians as a as a face on television, both with um, initially with Seven in Melbourne, and then um, I, I, I guess probably the sort of the, the show that makes uh, people famous uh, or did in the day was the ABC's holiday program, you know, sort of similar to Nine's uh, Getaway, which obviously has still survived um, before becoming Victorian presenter of the 7.30 report on the ABC back when that had state-based reports. Um, later moving into the business side of things, though, um, with the uh, with the Liberal Party, took a couple of times to to get into uh, in, in, in into a seat, but once there um, has has been so um, seen as um, something of a moderate within the coalition, um, somewhere in the what they describe as the centre right. What that actually means for policy on media, we'll have to see. Um, not, of course, that um, she'll have much chance to actually influence the outcomes for while being in opposition. So what do you think about this, Tim? Will a career in media help in uh, in the communications portfolio, do you think? Do you know, I'm not so sure. Um, I mean, I, I sometimes wonder, I think about, for instance, uh, you know, one or two people have done that before and come through Sometimes they can be a bit kind of captured, you know. It's very early to be critical about Michelle Rowland from Labour yet, but certainly what struck me when I previously interviewed her was, you know, having come up through the status quo, that sort of is where the natural instinct is to go. So I'm, you know, we, we you know, we've now got on both sides of the politics two two women who have both worked within the media industry. Um, you do, you know, you do get, you know, people who, who who do that and still use it to be new brooms. Um, my, yeah, my, 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 my guess is probably it won't make a huge difference in the scheme of things because particularly when you're a journalist, you're not, you're not actually really that involved in the policy setting side of things. So, you know, she would, it would be more what she picked up in the politics afterwards than what she did as a, as a journalist and then just quickly it's also worth acknowledging that um paul fletcher has been moved sideways and he did belatedly get arts added onto his portfolio when the coalition realized that in the initial announcement they'd forgotten to give that portfolio to anybody oh i'm not going to comment on that one as an arts lover i'm not going to comment on that one but coming up next eddie everywhere again Eddie Maguire is almost as synonymous with nine as Bert Newton used to be. But reportedly this morning, he's about to turn up on 10 2 demo. That's right, Tim. If uh, Nick Tabakoff uh, at The Australian in the media diary is correct, uh, what is confirmed is that he will still be on Nine. So fear not if you watch Nine only for Eddie Maguire being on it. 
uh, million dollar hot seat and footy classifieds will still include Eddie Maguire. He's confirmed that uh, to Tabakov that he'll be continuing with nine. Uh, but what uh, what uh, Tabakov continues on with is that um, he's also been trying to arrange a, a situation where he's allowed to pe- appear on other networks uh, as well. Uh, and this would um, include potentially uh, hosting the, the Melbourne Cup, which of course um, Network 10 has. Uh, so that uh, Melbourne Cup festival uh, I- includes the, the Cup itself and Victorian Derby Day and, and Oaks Day and uh, it looks as though he's trying to um, get a, a bit more coverage a- across the networks as well. Now, as you sort of mentioned uh, before, um, as synonymous uh, with Nine as Burton Newton, let's not forget that, that Eddie Maguire was, of course, the CEO of Nine back in the, the late noughties. Uh, he's got a, a very long history uh, with, uh, with the network. Um, and of course, that that history in, includes uh, his production company uh, producing shows uh, for Nine uh, as well. So interesting to see that um, he may be appearing on on another network. But if that happens to be true, uh, it's not necessarily the worst thing for Ten to be able to say that they're uh, able to lure top sports broadcasting talent. Uh, would the name Eddie Maguire, particularly in light of some of the situations that he's cropped up in uh, recently, more controversial situations he's cropped up in, uh, would that be a boon for another network to, to have him? I'm not sure. Uh, it could be questionable, but um, look, in, interesting to see that he's looking for, for potentially looking for work at, at other networks. Uh, will you tune into Tim, uh, to 10, Tim, to, to watch Eddie Maguire? Look, one of the puzzles for me, so I arrived in Australia in 2006, so that's 15, 16 years ago, literally as Eddie was, as you say, the CEO of Channel 9. It was quite short-lived and not really his fault because all the odds were against him at the time for other reasons, but he wasn't particularly good, certainly wasn't a particularly successful CEO. Um, he's very Melbourne. Obviously, we also used to host the Triple M Breakfast Show in Melbourne, Um you know, I suspect the audiences probably connect with him best in Melbourne. Melbourne, he was president of Collingwood, the AFL club, till not long ago. And that was one of the things he had to step down with one of the controversies you talk about, um, you know, questions about whether um, he was he and the club were complacent over racism within the club. And again, he's got an unfortunate, let's use that word, track record when it comes to those sort of comments. You know, there was the the suggestion comparing um, Adam Goods to King Kong um, on air on Triple M a few years back, which which brought one of his famous apologies where uh, it takes three or four attempts before the apology sounds genuine, each one sort of, you know, starting off with I was misunderstood. So it comes with all of that. But hey, the Melbourne Cup, obviously, is very Melbourne and he is Mr. Melbourne. So from that, that point of view, Sure, I guess it will go all right. Um, uh, and I suppose it's also worth mentioning that, yeah, you know, he's, he's had until relatively recently commitments with Foxtel as well. So, um, but yeah, it is it's intriguing and it certainly suggests the, the nature of his contract with Nine, which obviously would have been exclusive and high value, 
presumably it's worth less if he is able to kind of you know freelance out to 10 months in a while as well um but as to your actual question will i be watching um no call me not a punter uh, you call me old-fashioned but i you know i know this is a such a wowserish thing to say but um i just don't think it's very nice making the horses do that coming up next australian tv's finest reality moments So there is a fun list on The Guardian today for our last topic of the day. The 10 most memorable Australian reality TV moments. Now, Damo, probably we haven't got time to cover all 10. So how about we start with the top five? What's at number five? Yeah, geez, this will bring up a, a few memories for people in Australia because, uh, of course, you you weren't at this time, Tim. But uh, number five on the Guardian's list, Australian Idol. Now, they've said 2003, 2005 and 2006, but really all kind of started in the 03 version. Now, do you remember – why do I ask you this? You, you may kind of from the, <laughs> the, the replays, but uh, – a lot of the listeners will remember uh, radio exec, uh, recording exec, I should say, Ian Dicko Dixon, who was always very loud-mouthed and opinionated uh, and unfortunately um, had an opinion uh, on one of the contestants, uh, well, her size and weight, and, and that was uh, Paulini uh, back in the day, who went on to have a, a moderately successful uh, career. Um, and he said to her, you should choose more appropriate clothes or shed some pounds. Um, a little bit blunt, um, to say the very least, but that, of course, led to uh, Carl Sandlin's in 2005 uh, saying something similar, which um, I'm not going to repeat. It's just, It just got a bit crude. So Australian Idol kind of developed a little bit of a reputation for probably going a little bit too far when it came. For fat shaming. For, yeah, yeah, exactly that, for fat shaming. Um, but, Tim, let's move on quickly from that because it's probably not one that we really want to remember. Number four. Number four, The Guardian has chosen the Big Brother 2004 episode. So again, before I was here, but this is so famous, I feel like I was here because I've heard so much about it since. Free the Refugees. This was when contestant Merlin um, came out and used his uh, exit to, I think he, am I right thinking he, he put tape over his mouth and held up a sign saying Free the Refugees. Do you remember it? I, look, I do. I'm not a big uh, reality TV watcher, but I do remember this. I did watch Big Brother a bit back in the day and when they do the exit interviews as such and he kind of refused to do the interview because, as you said, he had tape over his mouth and <laughs> and a big billboard up and that was uh, rather awkward for, for host Gretel Kalina <laughs> who was uh, trying to burn a, a, a bit of time. But uh you gotta, you got to wonder what happens to some of these contestants. Well, this one I can answer because I, I, I actually just looked him up on LinkedIn out of curiosity. So Merlin Luck, as his name is, is, is adjacent to our world, actually. Looking on LinkedIn, he's regional vice president at Salesforce. Wow. He, um, yeah, looking at his profile picture, he's a bit of a silver fox these days. 
Um, he uh, he's actually been with Salesforce for the last nine years. Before that, he was um, uh, running something called the Love and Luck Boutique, which was a fashion label and retail startup, uh, and was also a PR agent and publicist as well. So um, still there and uh, thriving in his career. Well, good to see that Big Brother helped him out in his career then. Uh, in at number three, Tim. Number three, The Bachelor, the 2018 episode where The Bachelor chose no one. This was Nick Honey Badger Cummins, and you remember the anticlimax. Uh, so this is the, the show on 10, and this is probably when the show was at, at its sort of, you know, peak cultural breakthrough. You know, I remember when... 10 first uh, announced they were going to do a local version of The Bachelor. A lot of people, myself included, thought it wouldn't work, but for quite a while it did. So this year, you know, as you've probably seen, the twist is there are going to be three Bachelors, which seems like a terrible idea. But there again, um, I thought The Bachelor in the first place was a terrible idea, and I was wrong about that. So we will have to see. Right. In at number Two, uh, Tim and I, look, personally, I think this is probably one of the most hilariously awkward uh, situations in reality TV, but uh, tell us, what is it? Well, this one, and hopefully the listeners will be able to work it out, this one deserves a clip. Oh, my God. I don't know what to say right now. I'm feeling a bit sick about this. No. I'm so sorry about this. Oh my god. I'm... Oh, I'm... I don't know what to say. This is not, this was a complete accident. I'm so sorry. It's Amanda. I'm so sorry. It was fed to me wrong. It's okay, Sarah. Oh god. This is what happens when you have live TV, folks. I'm so sorry. This is This is insane. Insane, insane, insane. So, yes, that, of course, is Australia's next top model. The moment when Sarah Murdoch, uh, Lachlan Murdoch's partner, um, announced the wrong name. I can remember being at Mumbrella at the time when that happened. And, wow, the spin that went on from the powers that be at Foxtel to insist that if there was one person who was not to blame in the whole situation, it was the member of the Murdoch family. Um, Who knows actually how it went wrong. To this day, we still don't quite understand. But yeah, look, this um, this was such a big story at the time. And quickly moving on to number one. Number one, the turkey slap heard around the world. Yes, the big brother turkey slap. Absolutely infamous. Uh, Again, oh gosh, 16 years ago now when uh, two contestants, uh, Michael John Brick and Michael Ashley Cole. I don't know why these two guys have nicknames that are just their, you know, some other name in quotes, but it was before I got into the country. So maybe you can, uh, you can tell me that they invited Camilla Severi into their bed and then did the turkey slap, which was caught in the live stream, which was very, very early for live streams. And I think everybody learned a lot of lessons about live reality television at that point. Um, Damo, again, just before I arrived in the country, but I guess uh, memorable for anyone who was here at the time. Yeah, memorable in completely the wrong way for anyone who was here at the time, as you say. And and to to your point, those live streams 
were very new. And I remember um, Big Brother doing sort of extended shows and bonus after-hour shows and things like that off-peak of the highlights from the last 24 hours of the live cams, picking up interesting details. And unfortunately, it picked up some stuff that wasn't uh, as interesting or uh, wasn't as PG. Um, and, and this was one of those things as well. So uh, a big learning curve, I think, at the start of um, – I mean, this wasn't the very start, but sort of the the kind of uh, original phase one of reality TV of, you know, just what could happen when you get a, a group of people who aren't media trained, don't really um, know what to do in front of cameras and just stick them in a, a situation where they're being filmed all the time. It uh, doesn't always work out, surprisingly. Well, that is where we leave it for today. We would love to hear what you think about the topics of discussion we've just been covering at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And I'll be back in the email tomorrow with our regular choose data, which this week will be looking uh, at billings data for media agencies. And if you haven't yet given us a rating in the podcast catcher of your choice, please do so. It makes me feel so valid and it helps other people find us. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.